And what we're going to do is go through this little acrostic that's in the book, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But if you haven't turned in your faith promise card, can I just explain that a little bit again? A faith promise card is not a pledge. A faith promise card doesn't have your name on it. A faith promise card is something you pray about and ask the Lord what he's willing to give through you. Uh, It's not what you have. It's not what you don't have. It's not what you expect. It's not what you're banking on. You're just saying, Lord, speak to my heart and let me put this number down. And uh, you'll be amazed as you continue to pray for it. You'll probably start at a number you come up with, but you'll end up with a number that God comes up with. And uh, it's between you and God. It's something that you uh, wait on God to tell you uh, what he wants you to give. And it's something that you trust him to supply. Nobody comes and calls you and nobody comes back and says, hey, wait a minute, you, you said this. And so it's, it's not that. So you purpose this in your heart. And uh, you, you, you uh, do that. So please just be aware of that and turn it in. We're off to such a great start. We had such a great offering uh, for uh, Pioneer uh, Mission. Also, faith comes by hearing. It's just uh, really, really good. Uh, the Pioneer Bible translators are really on it. They've really cracked the code on uh, what to do uh, with this. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, and I know you probably do, I wish you'd turn with me to Psalm 113. We're going to start there, but we're going to look at several Psalms, four in a row. And, uh, but before we, as you turn to that, if you have your, your book, that's fine. If you don't, I just want to remind us of uh, uh, where we are. And we're going to go through a series of sermons based on the acrostic active. Uh, now, you may have learned to pray according to the acrostic acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Well, uh, Greg Pruitt changed this up a little bit and we've decided to give an explanation to give a challenge and give some encouragement for each one of these uh, things. So we're going to go through adoration tonight. That's what we're going to look at. And then next week it'll be confession and then thanksgiving and then the acrostic changes a little bit and it goes to intercession instead of supplication, intercession where we pray for people and finally extreme prayer, extreme prayer, which is of course what uh, the nature of this book is. And so that's on page 10 in your book if you want to refer to it later. I don't know if you've had this experience or if you consistently have this experience in prayer, but a lot of times when I pray, I get up and I wonder if anything happened. You know, I pray because it's the time to pray or I have time to pray. And I wonder, you know, did anything just happen? So I'm praying for somebody and I wonder, I wonder if their lives changed any because I prayed. Uh, Or sometimes when I pray, my mind goes in a thousand directions and I find myself praying and I'm thinking about other things. I'm thinking thoughts begin to fly into my head uh, that uh, really don't allow me to focus upon prayer per se. And then uh, it's not only that, sometimes I, I just get sleepy. So I'm praying and then I just get real sleepy. If you, if you want to uh, uh, go to sleep fast at night, just lay down and start praying. And I think a peace comes over you, you just go to sleep. And uh, that's, y'all look at me like that's never happened to you. You know why? Because you're not praying. That's the only reason. <laughs> I guarantee you that happens. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's hard to focus sometimes. And uh, I, think, I think they're tricks of the trade. I mean, I think you can uh, have a notebook with your prayer journal, if you will. And I, I think a lot of people like to do that, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, you, and, and you can, you know, kind of stay on task. Wait a minute, I was praying for number four here when I got to think about what's for lunch, and I come back to number five. 
And uh, I think you can just do that. And then the Bible says, pray without ceasing. So I like that because that means I can speak to the Lord and be in the Lord at any time. Many years ago, I read a, a book by, I thought, a man who was, uh, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if she's from Denmark or somewhere like, I think she's from Denmark. And uh, I thought it was a man and somebody had given it to me and I discovered as I read it that it was a woman. But she said something in there that was just so remarkable to me as a young person that uh, it, really, it really changed my understanding of what prayer is. And uh, so she begins by saying, you know, really what prayer is, is fellowship with God. So you come into fellowship with God before you do business and you try to get your supplications and all this stuff. You go into the presence of God in a concerted sort of way. And I thought, wow, that, I like that because I can go into the presence of God anytime. Why? Because he's always there. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And so when the Bible says pray without ceasing, when I think of somebody when I'm driving down the road, it's a great time to pray. Or if I'm just watching a television program or reading a book or studying in my study, it's just a great time to pray. And so prayer, we understand, is something that's a mystery and it's something that always leaves us a little bit maybe, uh, maybe incomplete and, and we're drawn back to it. I think if you ever prayed and got full satisfaction of everything that you prayed for and every answer and every day, you wouldn't pray anymore. But I think there's this idea that I'm going in the presence of almighty, holy God, and I'm going in the presence of God because of the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died for my sins, and I'm going in the presence with the aid of the Holy Spirit who brings me through Christ into the very throne room of God. I'm going into heaven when I pray. I'm not just, I'm not just praying in my room. I'm going into the very presence of God almighty in heaven. I'm going into a world that I don't see. I'm going to a world that I don't fully comprehend because we can know God, but we can never fully comprehend him. We can, you know, he's just beyond our comprehension. And so I think that's one of the things. So I'm, I'm trying to deal with the fact that I'm, I'm here with two feet on, my, on earth, on solid ground, but I'm going to heaven with what I'm saying here. I'm dealing with spiritual things that I don't necessarily uh, see. And I think that's very important for us to do that. So when we go down to, through the acrostic, so I'm adoring the Lord, I'm confessing my sins, I'm giving uh, thanksgiving, I, I'm, I'm making intercession. I think I left out the V last time. I'm vanquishing Satan. I, I'm doing spiritual warfare. Uh, that, that's, that's heavier than just saying, God bless this food that I'm about to eat. And then I'm, I'm getting ready for extreme prayer, really? Uh, that, that's something that's a little bit mysterious and, and always leaves me maybe a little uncomfortable. I, I don't think I can ever be fully comfortable in the presence of God Almighty. Isaiah had that experience when he said, Lord, I'm just unclean. Whatever, this all, whatever all this is, I'm unclean and everybody I'm around is unclean. We don't have clean lips. When you go into the presence of God, there's, there's holiness. There's that, there's that same sensation perhaps that, that uh, uh, Peter had when at the transfiguration. He saw Jesus Christ transfigured and he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let's just build three little tabernacles and we'll stay and y'all just keep being trans, transfigured. It's that idea that I'm earthbound and yet I'm right in the very room of heaven where God lives, if you will. And I know that's you know, that's debatable about a room and whatever, but it's still in the presence of God in an unusual way. The disciples knew they needed to do it and they were uncertain about their own prayer life. 
and they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And what did Jesus pray for? Uh, we studied this uh, in our Sunday school class uh, at the gathering today. What did he pray for? Well, he prayed before his baptism because he was about to begin his ministry and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he began to do his ministry. He, he prayed all night before he chose the 12 disciples. And he, he prayed thoroughly. for. He prayed often, the Bible says, as he did ministry. And I'm sure he went back from those prayer times and said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with all these people? What do you want me to do specifically? There are 24 hours in this day and there are a multitude of people. So who am I going to speak to? What am I going to teach? What, who am I going to heal? Or what, what, do we, what do you want to do? And he came into the, the very presence of the Father to get that strength that he, that he needed. Well, we pray for the same reason. But tonight we look at this matter of adoration. And the truth of it is you can have the acrostic and go down the acrostic, but we pray all sorts of ways. We go across the acrostic. We start with confession first or, or whatever else. And we laughed about it this morning. Uh, if you learn to pray according to the, uh, to the acrostic act, Acts, you know, we, where, you, where you adore the Lord, you confess your sins, you th give thanksgiving to God and make your supplications or requests. And somebody in, in uh, Sunday school today said, well, I always start with confession first. And I said, well, you ruined the whole thing because you start with cats instead of acts. And, you know, you, you can't just pray thinking about cats. It doesn't work like that. And uh, so, well, no, no, but that's what we do. We pray across those lines. But tonight we specifically look at adoration. And I think it's something that we don't often understand about prayer and even about singing or preaching or teaching or whatever else, that adoration comes uh, in prayer at the point of worship. A adoration comes in prayer at the point of worship. Would you join me tonight in Psalm 113, and let's just read this. And we're going to read several uh, psalms all the way down to 116, portions of these things, but I want you to see what he says. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above heavens. Who's like our Lord? Who's like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. To make them sit with princesses and with princesses of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in his house as a joyful mother of children. So what, what he's doing there, he's beginning his adoration by, by praising God for who he is. And so when we pray, one of the things that really gets us to a place of prayer that really works is when we begin to praise the Lord, worship God for who he is. Now, I tend to go to the Lord and say, here's what I got to have. Here's, here's my needs. Here's my worries. Prayer is not giving a list of your worries. That's not where it begins. And if it begins right there, it's not that God's unconcerned about that, but we don't have the right frame of mind if we're not careful. And we're demanding of God things before we acknowledge God for who he is. And so what the psalmist is doing is a great reminder to us to go before the Lord and begin to think in your own experience and, and, and according to Scripture and what you know about the nature of the Lord. Notice what it says there. He, he goes down and he says that the name of the Lord is to be praised. In verse 3, from the rising of the, of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. Verse 2, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth. When you pray in the name of Jesus and when you pray in the name of the Lord and when you adore the Lord for his name, you're acknowledging his person. 
you're acknowledging his purposes. You're reflecting upon his power. You're doing all of the things that bring to mind who God is. Now, here's the good key about that. God expects to hear from us and loves, and the Bible says, inhabits the praises of his people. So when we're worshiping the Lord in that manner, we are worshiping the Lord out of the fullness of our heart and our understanding and our wisdom. You don't have to say, well, I, I heard Brother Gene say, or I heard Brother Jeff say, or I, heard, I remember Mama said, or whatever else. You just praise the Lord for what you know about him. For what you know about him, that's what he's joyous about. That's, what, that's where he inhabits the praises. You're not praying somebody else's prayer. You're not riding on somebody else's understanding. You know what I found? Is that when I go and pray and I begin to adore the Lord and I begin to pray and praise the name of the Lord, all that I know about him from experience, when I get through, it seems not to be enough. I want to know more. That's what adoration will do for you in prayer. So you begin to reflect upon the, the person of God and as you praise the Lord and worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, let's say, I come away from that and I know a little bit about that, but I take a step back and I say, I want to know more about the beauty of holiness. I'd love to be holy, I just don't understand what it is. I'd love to be holy, but every time I get really close to it, it frightens me more than it blesses me. I want to know the holiness of the Lord. I want to be so close to him that it doesn't frighten me. So there's always more when you, because uh, you can't exhaust your knowledge of the person of the Lord. But it must come from your experience and my experience personally. And what that does typically is it drives me back to the word of God or it lets me pray and say, Lord, reveal your character, reveal to me to, today according to your word what I don't know about you. Let me discover something. Let me experience something that I have not experienced or known before this hour. And I think when we do that, we set ourselves up for the rest of the prayer. We're ready to confess our sins. We're ready to give thanks to God. We're ready to do all of those things. So we begin by saying, I, I want to rejoice in the Lord for who he is. And then I think the psalmist help us here in the next psalm. To begin as we adore the Lord, to re remember what he's done in history, what he's done according to his great power and the great works that he's done. Notice what it says in Psalm 114 for just a moment. When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. You know what the psalmist is doing? He's remembering the mighty acts of God. So let's say I'm going through a dry season. And let's say I don't know exactly how to pray. We'll get to a lot of that in a minute. But let's say that I'm just, I'm just there. It's one of those mornings where, you know, the coffee doesn't taste right and the sun didn't come up in the east, it came up in the west because, well, you know how it is. You've had those mornings and, there, and there's nothing that you feel like God's doing in your life. I don't feel close to the Lord this morning. I'm about to go to bed and I've had a rough day. I don't really feel close to the Lord. 
Well, when you begin to adore the Lord, and maybe that leaves you a little flat, and you, you, you don't get too juiced about that, about thinking about the person of God, then go to your understanding in Scripture about what God has done. Oh, God, how we thank you for creating the earth. And God for creating me. And God for creating my family. Oh, God, for creating the beauty of this earth. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, God, I remember with the psalmist how you called Abraham. What a wonderful thing that was. And gave him promises. Oh, God, how you worked in Abraham's life. That's at the time when you are leaning upon somebody else's experience. But especially in the Bible, but not limited to the Bible. God, I thank you as I remember how you saved my mama. Lord, how you delivered my brother from that addiction that he had. Lord, I'm remembering these great and mighty acts that you have done. God, I remember when you saved me. So you go back and you reflect upon Scripture and the experience of those in Scripture. How great you were to lead Egypt, uh, lead the, Israel out of Egypt. How great you were to open the sea. How great you were to let them cross uh, uh, the Jordan on dry land. How great you were to defeat their enemies, Lord. That's what I'm talking about. I tell you, when you begin to do that, then the presence of God becomes real because you're getting into the throne room of heaven and you're talking about the things that God has done, and God can only do those things out of his purpose, person, purpose, and power. I find that when I reflect upon the great things that God has done, it's wonderful. It causes me to say, then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. If I can't get anything done in creation, if it doesn't seem to excite me to think about the great exodus, the rising of David as the king, the prophets. Then I think about Calvary and how Jesus came to us to be with us, to reveal God to us and die on the cross. Can you stand ever before the cross and not be moved? Can you ever stand before the dying, bleeding Savior, that great act of God in time and space and history and not be moved to adore him? Oh, how we adore him. Joyful, joyful we adore thee. Sure. So you think about the mighty acts of God. That's adoration when you give back to the Lord what he has done. You're saying to God, I recognize you as the one and only God, his mighty acts. What about his great promises? What about his great promises? Look in Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. He says, why, why, why should the nation say, where's their God? But our God's in heaven. He does what he pleases. He talks about idols and how they don't have really any bearing on anything in, in life. And then he goes on to say they have ears, I mean, you know, they have noses, can't smell, ears can't hear, and whatever. But he said, Israel, trust the Lord. He's your help and shield. And he goes on to say, the Lord will bless us. He's been mindful of us in verse 12. He'll bless the house of Israel and Aaron. He'll bless those who fear him. That's the promises of God that we can claim for ourselves. Oh, dear, dear saint of God, and that's what we are tonight. As we go before the Lord, maybe we've been through a season of sin and doubt and defeat. I don't know. And maybe, maybe we've been in that parched, dry place. Maybe we've been in the wilderness like Jesus, and it's been one temptation after another that we've been battling. Maybe we've been in spiritual warfare. Maybe things just aren't going very well. And so I think about creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about the mighty acts of God. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. I think about uh, God's, you know, wonderful things that he did the, in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't yet move me. But can you 
claim the precious promises of God. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he'll be with you forever. I won't leave you as orphans. Have you remembered the prayer, give us this day our daily bread? Yes, I'll give it to you every day. If any of you lack wisdom, let, he ask, let him ask of God who gives liberally and doesn't upbraid you or fuss at you for that, the great promises of God. If I go, I'll prepare a place for you that, and if I prepare the place, I'll come again to receive you to myself that where I am there, you can be also. Those great promises of God, sometimes all you can hang on to is a promise of God. God, you said you give me through this day. I don't see how. But I praise you, Lord, and I claim your promises. I praise you and I worship you, and I worship you in faith to claim your promises that you've given. When I grew up, we had a little box called Precious Promises. Remember that little box, little pink box, about like that? A little card on it, and it had maybe, I don't know, 100 promises of God. My mother would pull one out, and she'd read it and put it in the back. Next day, we'd get up and read it and put it in the back. We missed a couple of days, she'd read two or three, put it in the back. Those precious promises of God, hundreds of promises in the Word of God. I've always said the best way to interpret the Word of God is when you read something that's a statement, believe it. When you read a command, do it or not do it. And when you read a promise, claim it for yourself. Say, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, Lord. I'll take the promise that you're coming back. I'll take the promise you're going to straighten this messed up world and turn it right side up one of these days. When you begin to adore the Lord, you, you can't get beyond his promises. Those great and precious promises, standing on those promises and calling upon those promises in the, the darkness of the midnight hour of your soul is something that allows you to worship the Lord. When, when you claim the promises of God, you know what you're doing? You're worshiping God by saying, I trust you. I believe in you. I know your word is true. You would never lie to me. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I claim your promises. Well, maybe you can't claim the promises. Maybe you're going through and you, you're trying to worship the Lord and, and his person, you just can't get there and you're too distracted or maybe those mighty acts don't do you very much good and maybe the promises of God seem a little little shallow because you can't remember one for your specific uh, need in the morning uh, or in the evening as you pray. Uh, how do you adore the Lord? I'll tell you how to adore the Lord. You go back and you, you look at your spiritual milestones. You know what a spiritual milestone is? Look, there's some things in my life. I, I don't understand. The older I get, I can remember poetry that I memorized in high school, but I can't remember where I put my car keys 20 minutes ago. So I don't, I don't know how that works in your mind. But I tell you, there's some spiritual milestones in our lives that nobody can take away. One milestone in my life, I remember in the little town of Sour Lake, Texas, at First Baptist Church on a Sunday evening, sitting by myself back as the preacher would face the congregation back toward the exit because I always wanted to be the first one out. I can remember holding onto a pew and the invitation given. Don't remember what the pastor said, but I thought I was going to be lifted out of that place. I never had an experience like that. And I gripped that pew thinking, if I don't hold on to this pew, my feet are going to fly right out of here. I didn't understand that was the conviction of the Lord. It wasn't very long before I was reading my Bible, laying in the bed at night and wrote, read Romans 10, 9 to 10, and God saved me. That's a milestone. I don't care how dark my life gets. How tough my life gets. I can go back to the milestone, spiritual milestone in my life and say, 
God's good because I was there when that happened. I remember the spiritual milestone in my life when God called me to, to ministry and to preach. Once again, laying in a bed. Appomattox, Virginia, watching snowfall outside of my bedroom window. And all of a sudden, the voice of God spoke to me and said, you're going to preach. He didn't say, will you like to or uh, what do you think about this? He just made a declaration. And, of course, I said, I need to turn this radio off because that sounded exactly like God was speaking to me in my ear. <laughs> I'll just turn it off. And he said it again. It's a milestone. I was there when it happened. Oh, you can't get beyond that. There are milestones in your life. The milestone when God worked and God healed and God moved and God gave you wisdom. The milestone when something happened that wasn't supposed to happen and you got through it and you were better for it. Those milestones, when I can't go anywhere else, I go back there. I camp out a little while on salvation. I camp out a little while on when I was baptized. Oh, how I remember that. I camp out a little while on that calling to preach. I camp out a little while on, oh, on when I found out that I, I was really in love with my wife or soon to be my wife. I go camp out in the birth of our children or whatever. When God worked or when God worked in a meeting that I didn't expect and when somebody got saved or whatever else, when God spoke and worked and moved and whatever and you put those milestones and pretty soon your heart's lifted and you can say, thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I worship you today. It's a wonderful thing. But you know, that's not all. We come to worship the Lord in faith. We come to worship the Lord not just for what he's done, not for his promises and what he's going to do, not just his mighty acts in our lives and the milestones of our life and other people's lives, not just in his great uh, person that he is that's so incomprehensible, but we come to the Lord to worship him finally in faith. But may I say faith isn't something that's self-generating. Our faith in the Lord isn't something I say, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, like the, you know, the little engine that thought he could. Uh, we have to have help in prayer. I've come to that, you know, not so grand conclusion. But a long time ago I realized I don't know how to pray. But, oh, I'm so glad that Jesus prays for me. So what I lack, he fills. What I can't do, he's already done. And I'm glad to read the scripture in Matthew that says God knows what you need before you ask him. He knows the need, the solution, where it's going. I'm glad to know that. Because I might forget to pray, but Jesus prays. I might forget how good God is, but he's still good. He still knows our needs and knows what we're going through. But I love that scripture in Romans chapter 8 that speaks about the Holy Spirit who prays for us when we don't know how to pray. Because I've claimed that scripture so many times in my life in dark and difficult days when I say, I don't, Lord, I, can't, I don't feel that I can worship you today. I bring nothing. I'm so empty today. There have been times in your life, in my life, and there will be times in the future when we can't get a word out. But the only thing we can do is groan. You're so sick. You, you, you're so burdened. You're so downhearted. You're so fearful. You, you can't get anything out. And the scripture says, the one who knows the heart of God and the one who knows our hearts is the Holy Spirit who's going to be with us forever. He's right there. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, 
that the Holy Spirit says, look, I understand where you are. Let me have this. Can't we worship God and adore God? Because even when we can't adore him, there is one who within our lives prays. I think I said this this morning in our place, but that just gives me great comfort to know when I can only get a grunt out or maybe a groan or nothing that Jesus is praying, that the Holy Spirit is praying. And then that most wonderful verse, Paul says, we, we don't know how we ought to pray. We don't know how to pray as we ought, as we should. But the Holy Spirit begins to pray and knows our need and knows the Father's will. And that prayer is joined with the great intercessor, Jesus. And when that consolidated prayer goes to the Father, that wonderful verse says, and God causes all things to work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. That makes me want to go into the presence of God and say, look, with trembling lips and a faltering heart, I might not can get the words out as eloquently as I'd like. My mind might drift before I get any of it out, but I want to say as I begin to pray this morning, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God, be praised. May your name be praised in my life and on my lips. Dear God of glory, glorify yourself in these prayers that I am about to offer. And I would suggest to you that when we're there, after having worshiped the Lord in prayer, it's a lot easier to confess those sins. It's a lot easier to give him thanks. It's a lot easier to make intercession for ourselves and others. And then we get to the point of extreme prayer and we're really willing and ready for God to do things that go far beyond our imagination. Let me tell you what I think happens when we do that. I think when we pray and we start with adoration and we do the things that are suggested in books like these, th this, this won't make you a better prayer. This will encourage you to pray. The only way to get good in prayer is to pray. But, but let me what, tell you what I, I really think happens there. I think what happens is that when we begin to worship the Lord and yield ourselves to him and remember those good things and praise him for it, and we, we just in love with the fact that we can be in heaven tonight praying. I think that as we pray, several things begin to happen. First of all, I think we get a little more focus in prayer because it's so much fun and so rewarding. I, I think we get a little more focus. I think we deal with those thoughts that go back and forth. I think we're less likely perhaps to drift off into slumber. I think it's a lot less likely that we're going to be distracted. But I'll tell you what I think does happen. I think we're praying and we get to the intercession part and we're saying something like this. God, I wish you'd bless my family. Don't you do that every day? Sure. Lord, I hope you'll take care of my grandchildren, my children. Lord, bless the preacher because the Lord knows he needs it. Lord, bless this and bless that. And all of a sudden you're saying, God, if you don't help those people in New Guinea, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Lord, if you don't help those homeless people in Nashville, dear God, what can we do? I thank God in the midst of that praise and glory and confession and thanksgiving. I think he takes his will like a thunderbolt and shoots it right to our heart. And all of a sudden, we get purpose in our lives that we've never had before. We get brokenness over people. We get clarity in mission. 
things begin to happen that we can't possibly imagine. When you worship the Lord, he likes it. He likes it. He comes right down with us. He invites us to come right up with him. And then things begin to happen that clarify the will of God and our purpose in life. And that's the joy of worship. So adoration. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, just in the quietness of your heart, we're going to take just a few moments and pray. And we're going to adore the Lord in our prayers. Would you do that with me tonight? Just silently we're going to pray. And then after a moment of prayer or, or two, or whatever. So you say, now, now, what is it again we're adoring the Lord for? His person? Maybe you start there. And you say, well, I tried, Brother Gene, but I had a lot of thoughts. Don't worry about that. You just come right back to it. His person, his mighty acts, uh, the wonderful promises that he's made to us, the great things that he's done in our own lives, and we extend a faith and the joy of our heart. Let's just adore the Lord in this sanctuary tonight and pray. Would you join me in prayer right now? Let's pray. Father, we adore you. We give you mercy and uh, you've given us mercy and grace and we come before you to adore you. We thank you for the wonderful creation you have made. The stars, the moon, the sun, the beauty of nature. This living planet that we're on that continues to stagger us and fire our imagination because it comes from your hand. And we haven't seen all that you can do yet. We praise you for that. We adore you for that. You're holy, Lord. You're merciful. You're great. You're different from we are, from what we are. And yet we are, because of Jesus, able to be like you are. We are able to be godly. It's unthinkable, but it's real. We thank you for that. We thank you for your great name that's above every name. We thank you that you're not a wooden idol or a figment of our imagination, but you're the real God who inhabits our praises and worship tonight. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you've done in this world. Beyond creation, how you, you spoke to the people through the prophets and through your law and through the worship in the tabernacle and temple, how you raised up a nation from Abraham in the most unlikely circumstances, how you delivered Israel from Egypt, how you protected your people and gave them plenty Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the great name of Jesus that allows us tonight to pray and adore you. We thank you.
for Jesus. Jesus, be glorified in our prayers and glorify the Father. We yield our lives to you to glorify the Father. It's our great desire to give our God glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for your great and precious promises. We claim those promises, every one of them for us. We worship you because your word is true, everlasting, settled in the heavens and cannot be changed. We thank you when we think about our own lives. Thank you for saving us and using us and calling us and blessing us in those times of blessing when we did not deserve it. We adore you for it, Father. We praise you for it, Father. And we come in faith because we can. You've told us that we can come boldly to your throne with confidence to enter your presence, with full assurance because we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What